You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail. Hey, y'all, it's Bridget here. Let's learn. I had the honor and pleasure of chatting with my friends, Todd Apple, and his lovely wife, Lisa. Todd Apple has been in the bar and cocktail world since 2002 and is the founder and creator of Apple's Cordials. Along with his wife, Lisa, they create bespoke cordials and syrups for bar and restaurant beverage programs throughout the Chicagoland area. They also support event bartending, and their creations have been featured at events throughout Chicago and the world, including Tales of the Cocktail, Chicago Gourmet, Bacon Fest, Aspen Food and Wine, the James Beard Awards, and the Cognac Blues Fest. They shared their flavored story all about the cordial world with me and so much more. So grab yourself your favorite Apple's Cordials Cocktail and enjoy the show. Listen, Todd, I want to welcome you to Served Up. I'm really excited to have you on the show today. Thank you, Bridget. Thanks, Bridget. I'm I'm really excited too. This is great. I was was hoping I would be on your show someday. (laughs) Well, 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 here we go. You know, um, I would love for our listeners to understand a bit about the two of you and really what brought you into this industry, you know, into the beverage world. And I'll go ahead and start with Lisa and then uh, Todd, it'll be your turn. Um, I come from a nonprofit background for 15 years and then took a little journey into freelance communications and marketing, worked with chambers of commerce and um, somehow fell upon the industry world just from hanging out with people. And then Eric Mersch pulled me into the brand world. I guess he saw something in me and I said I wasn't a salesperson. And he said, yes, you are a salesperson. So I worked with a couple of small brands. And then I got involved with Speed Rack, where I made so many connections um, through the world of Speed Rack and worked as the regional coordinator or volunteered as the regional coordinator for Chicago for um, the last seven years or so. Um, And along the way, I met up with Todd Apple and we started hanging out. And um, 10 years later, we're working together and we're married. (laughs) We got married. (laughs) You got married. Lisa, for any of the listeners that may be new or maybe um, are just curious about the beverage world, but not in it, can you explain what Speed Rack is? Sure. Um, Speed Rack is a, a now international competition for female bartenders in which uh, our primary goal is to support and empower women in the industry while raising money to support the breast cancer organizations that are fighting the battle that so many women in our lives and around around the world are dealing with. Um, and it started off in a couple of cities and like I said, now it's international and it's it, uh, it takes a quite a community of volunteers to help put it together. Thank you. Todd, what about you? You know, um, I know that you have a unique story and journey into the beverage world. Can you tell our listeners about that? Yeah, I had like a pretty odd. I mean, every time I think about it, it's kind of like, whoa. I mean, from where I came from to like becoming a bartender, 
I wanted to, you know, I was in college when I was a kid. I wanted to be a scientist. When I was in college, I ended up majoring in in diplomatic history of modern Europe. And I wanted to join the Navy and I wanted to be an intelligence officer. That's another long story that didn't work out. Um, I ended up deciding that I wanted to be a futures trader in Chicago. So I moved to Chicago and got a job on the trading floor of the Chicago Board of Trade um, and worked my way up. And um, it was crazy. Um, And that was back in the late 80s. I learned a lot about life and people. It was a mean place to be. I learned a lot about Chicago and and kind of like, you know, the the people in Chicago. I started picking up a Chicago accent. Um, But I learned a lot about that. I decided I wanted to go to grad school and move on and do something else. Um, I had friends that were professionals. I went to the University of South Carolina. Uh, I wanted to learn how to speak Portuguese, and I wanted to import cachaça. I had this uh, um, from Brazil. I've, I've traveled to Brazil. I love Brazil, so I wanted to learn how to speak the language, and I wanted to import cachaça. And this was in the late 80s when nobody knew anything about it. Um, so I was thinking about all kinds of, you know, I was young enough to kind of like change my, my tack often. So I went to grad school and did that. And I came back and I, I really didn't want to work in the corporate world. Um, I tried the importing and I really didn't know what I was doing. So I went back to the Chicago Board of Trade and worked there and ended up being a trader. I worked for a big trader. I was in the trading pits. Um, before I went to grad school, I was in the trading pits at the CMA and the Board of Trade during the first Gulf War. It was crazy. The stories of that world is just insane. Um, at the end of my, my, my world there, I, I really didn't like it as much as I, you know, it wasn't like my career. I wanted to make money and then I wanted to do something else. I didn't make money. So it was time for me to move on. I left there in 2001, uh, with my hands in my pockets and nothing. And I was 40 years old and I didn't want to have anything to do with the financial world. I love culinary and I like cooking and I liked crazy. I liked the frenetic world. I wanted to multitask and I wanted to be in a kind of insane situation and bartending was it. I was like, this will be great. Um, it was tough to get a job as a 40 year old guy who didn't have bar- bartending experience. Um, but I, I got myself into doing it and, and being a bartender, I didn't want to just pay rent. I, you know, even though that was hard to do, I wanted to be a professional at it. I wanted to be really good at it. And I wanted it to be a craft. And along the way during that, um, skipping many other stories, you know, that's how I ended up meeting you because I was searching for, you know, people that wanted to be craft bartenders and wanted to like be a professional at it and not just, you know, what the stereotype bartender was, you know, so that's what started that career in bartending. Um, and making things for cocktails. Because as soon as I started bartending, I was really interested in, in making things. My first job as a bartender was at a local gay bar in, in Andersonville. Um, and, you know, when I had ships, I would, be, I would make like raspberry syrup and we made chocolate martinis and, and Cosmos. My Cosmo game that was really good. Um, but I, I stuffed blue cheese olives. I mean, anything I could do to make something kind of fun, even though it was, you know, it wasn't like a crap bar, you know, it was like a dance, it was a video club and that kind of thing. So, but I really loved that from the beginning and making things for drinks, making things for cocktails. 
Um, and that's really what led me to where we are right now. Um, it, it, it grew out of, out of a lot of like really important, you know, things meeting you and, 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 and launching that kind of, you know, where you were excited about being in a community of bartenders, you know, people that helped you along the way discussions, you know, talking about things like, you know, talking to Peter Vistinos about lime cordial and, and lime syrup. And, and everybody at that time, it was like roses, you know, I, you know, not to like say, I always use roses, limes, lime juice and that kind of thing. Right. But everybody was like, Oh, we need to make our own things or we need to have things and don't use that use fresh lime. We talked about something called, you know, fresh lime and sugar isn't the same as the lime syrup like roses. So in a gimlet, you want to have, for me and, and for him too, I thought you really needed something that was a lime syrup, um, not just fresh lime. And that, and I, and I love both. And so that's how I started, you know, kind of playing around with making a fresh lime syrup. It is cooked, but it has the addition of like lime peel and, and all these things. And it's delicious, but it's different than having a fresh lime. The texture is different. Um, but that's what really started me making syrups and doing that kind of thing. And I, I would do that on my own at bar gigs that I was working at. I would bring, you know, I started, well, if I can make lime syrup and it was, you know, good, I can make, we can make lemon syrup. And that's how it kind of like took off with that. I've got a philosophy of, of making things even down to like uh, simple syrup. You know, it's, I think it's important to have like an, a reason for what you do with all your drinks, with all your syrups, with all your ingredients. They all have to have a reason. So I have a philosophy of all that kind of stuff. So I think I keep asking questions. And <laughs> No, I will. I will. I know that you definitely have the knack for flavors and for not only creating syrups, but also for being an, just an amazing home chef as well, a home cook, you know, really understanding that balance and how to make something very delicious. Lisa, you know, before we talk about what you all do now, did you also kind of share in that love of flavors and, and cooking at home? Or did you have a different skill set that you brought in? I think my skill set was more on the on the uh, the outside of the kitchen with relationship building. But I very much enjoy it. I didn't know I was being tested on our second or third date when he invited me into his kitchen to make grapefruit cordial. In hindsight, I realized, I guess I passed the test that I was allowed in his kitchen to peel grapefruits and wash them and, and do those things um, and really enjoy being the sous chef of, of this uh, partnership. It was a test of like getting along. It wasn't like you had to like <laughs> take notes and then I gave you a test or anything like that, right? But I've, I've built a, a better affinity for uh, music and class though, for sure. We worked together really well. And it was, and it was something where I love being with you in the kitchen and it wasn't like, Oh my God, get the hell out of here. You're making me crazy. Or, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was really, it was wonderful. We could work together and be together. And, and uh, those are important things. If you're going to be in a relationship at some point, I think. Yeah, a hundred percent. Can you tell our listeners what you're doing today? Because I mean, they can't see you both, but I can describe that they're sitting in an industrial kitchen. They're not sitting in their home. So can you share, you know, about what the two of you, when you came together, what you established? Well, uh, I had been making syrups for a while on my own in my own kitchen. And I had people asking if, they, if I could make them for them. So it, it grew out of a 
you know, kind of a cottage kitchen business. I know that, you know, is not necessarily what you're supposed to do, but I, that's where I honed all the recipes. I kept journals. I wrote all the recipes down. I wanted them to, I wanted things to be good and taste good and be functional in a, in cocktails and serve a purpose in those cocktails um, because I'm also a bartender. So, you know, I wanted things that I could like grab behind the bar and say, Hey, I can make a lemon drop martini right now. And it's better than anything else that you're going to get. And, and it's a one touch thing working in high volume and that kind of stuff. So it grew out of me making those syrups and having people want that. And so we ended up uh, three years ago, four years ago. Yeah. Four years ago, the year, actually, yeah, the year before the COVID hit um, and we got a, 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 a small kitchen. It used to be a bakery and coffee shop. We went to restaurant auctions and we didn't have a whole lot of money, but we knew like we wanted to get to work and start making syrups. And that's what we did. We just, you know, we painted our windows, did all our own work and everything. We don't have investors, um, that kind of thing. And we just started having fun doing it. Um, we don't live extravagantly. So we were, you know, ready to live on a really minimal budget. And I always did as a bartender. And we, you know, we lived together, we worked together. Um, all of our life with that. So this was kind of the natural um, progression out of that. So this is our space. We have a lot of fun doing it. We make things, we have set recipes and we have set things like we make lime cordial, but we can also do uh, bespoke syrups for bars and restaurants. Most of our clientele really aren't home bartenders, although anyone could buy from us. Anyone could come here. We we make small bottles um, for, for home bartenders, but our clients are, our bars and restaurants. Since I worked in the in the bar world, I know how hard it is for staff, bar staff, you know, or front of the you know front of the house house to to make syrups and to have them be consistent and be creative or interesting and have that change and and do that kind of thing. And the back of the house usually doesn't want to help the front of the house with that. So there's always an issue with that. A lot of bars don't have the space to do it. So. I always thought we were just kind of a syrup business at the beginning, but as I as we evolved, I realized really what we are is a is a is a business helping bars and restaurants with that aspect of their business. And so we're not just cookie cutter syrups. You know, we can we can make things for you. We can modify things that we already make. Um, we're always experimenting with uh, different syrups, fruits, uh, different sugars, different um, juices, different all kinds of things. We're having fun. We have a long list of, of things I want to experiment on. And, and it's a really fun space to be creative. And, and it's a business as well. So we're just having a lot of fun doing it. Uh, we want to grow naturally. You know, we're not like sitting here knocking on doors uh, and we don't have investors crying for, for, you know, return on investment. We deliver everything ourselves. So, you know, we get a lot of, you know, how the industry, yeah, both and both of us, right. We're like, Gibson or, uh, you know, someplace needs, uh, <laughs> needs uh, a syrup and it's Sunday and they got killed and they're out and they call us, you know, at four in the morning on Sunday morning or whatever. Oh my gosh, we're out. We're not going to say no. I want, you know, I, I don't want people to be out of our stuff and, and I don't want, I know how it is, you know, you can't 86 things. So I think a lot of it too, we've evolved and we, we collaborate with all of our accounts um, when I'm in there delivering every week, it's it's an account management as well. And I find out 
what they're coming up with, when they're going to flip the menu, what kind of samples they want. And we many of the creations that um, Todd's made has been out of a discussion with the bar managers and with the staff. And um, that's now brought us to over 40 different options on our menu, on our current menu. You know, before we go any further, I do, and I will ask this question again at the end. And Lisa, maybe you can tell us, you know, where can our listeners um, find you? We have our website, applescordials.com. Um, a lot of our content is on our Instagram, also applescordials. Um, I'm usually best reached via text or email or find me on Thursdays going around to 15 to 25 places on any given week with uh, with deliveries. So um, I think that's one of my favorite parts is is talking with the with the bar teams and finding out what what they're interested in and what they want to create because I'm not a bartender. No, you. I mean, we complement each yeah. other very well. You are a super connector. You you thrive <laughs> on putting people together and doing that. Me, I'm more like you know I'm happy being in my kitchen working. I like being around people. I mean. I love being a bartender. I love making drinks. I wish I could still do it. But, you know, that's something that you thrive on. So we like work so well together that way. You know, you can do all those things that don't come natural for me, you know, and vice versa. So it's, it's a, it works so well. Todd, this question is for you. You know, um, there's still a great shortage of um, staff with uh, so many of the restaurants for so many reasons, right? So many of the bars. Have you found that? particularly like your product makes their job a bit easier uh, because you did say like, you know, they don't have to maybe bother the back of the house, right. To, to have something very special for their guests as, as an ingredient. Well, absolutely. I, I mean, we're, I don't want to take the place of like, you know, a bar that has great bar staff that's really interested in making their syrups and their, and their ingredients for their cocktails. Um, we can augment things. You know, there's a lot of places that just don't have the ability to do that. And now, you know, it was hard to do that before COVID. It's really hard now with staff, keeping staff, training staff, and then having your product be consistent, especially if you're um, going through a, a fair amount of volume and that kind of a thing. Um, I think it's, we we fit that niche where you can say, you don't have to pay someone extra to do it or throw away product that that is bad or doesn't work out or retrain staff all the time. You you know, we can fit that that role for for you in a couple of syrups, a bunch of them. I mean, I think I feel a little awkward if you would put like every syrup on your menu. It looks a little weird. I mean, but you you augment your your menu with some interesting things that we make and, you know, fresh juices or great spirits, all those kinds of things all come together. So, it, you know, we can, we fit that role, I think, really well. And, and as we've been doing this, I realize that's, that's probably our main role right now. We serve bars and restaurants, any consumers that, and home bartenders that, that want to buy from us can do the same thing. Everything we make is non-alcoholic too. So at least that we sell. Lisa, can you talk to our listeners a bit about, you know, you know, Todd is a bit of a magician, as we know, you know, in the kitchen and is not afraid to experiment with ingredients. Were there some syrups that came out and you're like, wow, I never would have thought that combination would have worked? Or do you have some favorites? Oh, uh, good question, because our palates are different, too. Like, um, the, the passion fruit habanero that came together 
Um, I'm not as much of a spicy, well, I'm a spicy person, but I, I have a, a sensitive palate to spice. And that's one of my favorites. But um, the grapefruit cordial is a classic and it's a very labor intensive one to make. So I think I appreciate that one more. But um, one of my favorites that I didn't see is coming together when it did uh, the lavender cola that he made years ago um, out of a request from one of our one of our um, original accounts. That's kind of a fun go to and um, strawberry peppercorn shrubs, another one. Well, it's hard to pick a few, a few favorites. Yeah, that one came out of like we were coming back from Eagle River and we decided to pick strawberries in a field in, in Wisconsin. We picked so many strawberries and, you know, strawberries, you need to do something with them. They're not going to, you know, they're not getting any younger. So uh, a bunch of them, I decided to try and make a shrub with it and peppercorn. I don't know. And we just did it and it turned out great. I was like, wow, this tastes so delicious. Really good. Great with vodka. Ty, can you explain what a shrub is? Versus a, versus a syrup, let's say. Yeah, I mean, the way we make it really, um, the way uh, the way a shrub, uh, there's, I think there's a lot of different ways you can kind of look at it, but really takes the place of citrus or, you know, it's your acid base for a syrup. So you add sugar, vinegar, and then a flavoring. You know, it could be fruit, could be spices, could be a combination of that. And then you, and then you use that as the base for your drink. And it doesn't have to be an alcoholic drink. It can be just, you know, a, a tall, long drink that's vinegar based and fruit and, or, and like I said, spices or whatever other kinds of flavoring enhancers you want in it. You can use different vinegars, you know, cider vinegar, rice vinegar as your base, champagne vinegar. You can, you can play around with those because they all impart different flavors. It's something that I know like in the, you know, colonial days they use because in, in, in this country, because they didn't have citrus, you know, and it was a way to add a flavor. Plus it was something that people liked to, you know, drink. I remember my grandma from Germany talking about her sister just loved to drink vinegar, you know? So it's something that you can make a, a fruity drink out of. That's really delicious. Um, I know that a lot of uh, uh, Asian countries there's, that's a really common thing. It, and I think it's gaining uh, popularity in the United States too. So um, yeah, I can tell you the difference. I mean, I've got a whole like, way of rationale of thinking about syrups. Um, mostly like syrups are for me, when I say something's a syrup, it's going to be water-based and sugar. Okay. Um, and then you modify it with different, different uh, flavors. For me, a cordial, when I say something's a cordial, it's, it's not a, like a liqueur and it's not a chocolate covered cherry. It's, it's something that's citrus based. So instead of water, I use, um, we will use like lime juice or lemon juice or grapefruit juice or a combination of that kind of a thing. Um, so there's no water involved in it at all um, and sugar as well. And then uh, a shrub is the, is the vinegar based one. That's Those a great, that's a great explanation. It really is because I think that, you know, especially for the home bartenders or just, you know, the average Joe that's, uh, that's tuning in really may not understand, you know, what the difference is. And when they see that on a menu, I think it can be a little intimidating, right? Unless you really understand the difference and what you're about to experience. And with that said, Lisa, you know, it sounds like you really have that one-on-one -on -one time with your customers, you know, with your accounts. And are you seeing um, a lot of low and no cocktails, ABV cocktails on menus? Absolutely. Um, it's definitely here to stay. It's not a trend. 
Um, and I love when I see it on menus, uh, how they describe them. The bar teams are putting just as much thought into creating those beverages, um, spiritless, spirit-free, non-alcoholic um, they're putting just as much creativity into them as they are the cocktails with spirits. And that's another area that we're on. There's a couple of places that we're just on the non-alcoholic side of the menu. I know it's not a trend because it's consistent volume and heavy volume for the NA beverages as much as the, as much as the spirited beverages. So it's really fun to be on both sides of the menu there too. Our first account. I mean, at first I kind of felt bad. I'm like, man, made these for cocktails, you know what I mean? But they used them in their non-alcoholic, you know, lunch service. But I mean, I was I was happy, but I was kind of like, sort of like, don't you want to put any in cocktails? <laughs> but um, yeah, I like everything we make is is non-alcoholic, so it works perfectly, you know, in a club soda or water or 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 a mixture of you know all of those kinds of things. It's great. You know, I would love to know actually from the two of you, and I'll I'll keep it with Todd for just a minute here. But you know, I think it was about ten years ago when it was really cool to like to ice someone. Remember? Yeah. You know, you'd show up with yeah. a beer or a malted something like whatever, and the person would have to get on their knees and pretty much slam it in front of you. We would not have been talking about low or no ABV cocktails back then, but we are today. And so my question to you, and I'll start with Todd, is, you know, why do you think that is? We've gone from one extreme to another. I, you know, I, I think it has to do a little bit with some collective maturity and, and growing up collectively in a way. I mean, we've got all kinds of issues as well, but I think that's one of them. I mean, I love cocktails. I love wine. I love spirits. But if you don't do it in a, in a respectful way to them and yourself, it destroys lives as well. And we don't want to do that. We want to have fun with it. We want, we, you know, we want to be able to go out and also not feel like, you know, you're forced to drink until you until you fall down, which is, I think there was a lot of peer pressure. And, and, you know, since I, you know, I'm pretty old, it was always like that. You know, you had to drink until you were, you know, almost throwing up kind of stuff. Right. And whether you wanted to or not. And um, I think people are kind of growing up for the fact that you can think for yourself and not, and, and you can go out and be accepted as well, you know, and that goes across all kinds of other lines as well. You know, we should be accepting each other in so many different ways. And if you don't want to drink, you can still, we can all go out together still, you know, I, that's what I feel like. That's how, how I feel how people are are doing that and growing up that way. So yeah, I love that. Lisa, do you have a point of view on that as well? I agree with everything that he said. I guess I'll just add that I think the sharing of the enjoyment of drinking spirit-free cocktails and it becoming more of an accepted culture is definitely it and the creativity behind it. So you, you know, you have the the ritual, so to speak, of having a drink, but it doesn't have to have spirits in it to really enjoy it. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, I think what's interesting about you, Lisa, is that you did not come from, you know, the beverage background really whatsoever. So I, I, my, my question to you is, you know, what did you think when you jumped in? Because I always say that, you know, folks um, that work in our industry, you either love it or you don't. There's not much gray room, right? Because it's very aggressive and it asks a lot of you. So what, what were your thoughts, you know, when you started off in the beverage industry? 
I think I was just open to learning from those who were in charge of making the drinks, learning from the spirited experts. I, you know, went to as as many educational opportunities that were usually combined with social networking as well, um, thrown into it and and just being curious and asking questions and and accepting that I'm not the expert in it. Um, I one funny story is um I was a bar back once for one time, one night only for Brandon Phillips. He was in a cocktail competition. It was the first one that he won. I retired as a bar back that night because why not retire on top, right? So, but I remember five minutes before when uh, when I was thrown into this thing, you're going to be a bar back. I had to grab someone and say, what's the difference between the these two strainers, between the, what is it? The, the julep strainer and the, and the Hawthorne strainer. So- I now know what that is. But. What is it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> There's no quizzes on served up. <laughs> My goodness. No, but, um, but I always appreciated the expertise and, um, and just what bartenders were doing and, how, and the evolution in the last 10 to 12 years. I've, I've been that very, very tiny outside part of it. And I, I felt like, I mean, on, on top of that, when I got into it, I was not an experienced bartender at all. I even I I was like, okay, I'm leaving the board of trade. I got nothing. I got a week. I took bartending school, the one that all mm-hmm. bart that that mixologists make fun, right? So, mm-hmm. and it was it, it's fun, funny, and there was like some really schlocky things that were in it, but there was a lot of really cool old school things that you learned in there, and it gave me a little bit of confidence in it, right? Even though, like, when you went to look for a job you know, people looked at you like kind of, you know, you're not, that isn't bartending, um, that kind of thing. So it takes a while, it takes a while to do that, you know, and I've, I've been in it since 2001. So what, 20 years, I had another whole career in it. Um, but it was kind of cool because I was lucky enough, even though it wasn't, it was like something I kind of chose to do at the moment. It also was the time when, when there was a renaissance in bartending, and cocktails and the whole thing. And it was just flourishing and growing. And I, that was a lucky point that I, 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 I got into it at that moment, you know, and that's why you were there because of that whole Renaissance. Um, that's why there were so many, you know, talented people that were, were, were doing this and it was growing, you know, throughout the country and world. Um, so, you know, and that started around that time there, you know, early two thousands kind of so. Yeah, I mean, it really did. I feel so lucky. And we were talking before, you know, we started the show today on how we both just feel just genuinely so lucky to have been part of that, right? To be part of history in a, in a small way, at least a part of starting something that's maybe bigger than all of us, right? Yeah. Just yep. to see it grow and to see it continue to grow. Um, what was that time like for you in the beginning of the 2000s for you personally? Like, you know, really going from working in a bar where you're making your own syrups and really kind of trying to find your way and then being introduced to really a community that have shared values and shared interests. You know, I have to say it was really hard because, you know, I had, I didn't have any money. So you had to do what you had to do to pay rent. And it was, you know, I, you know, I had a master's degree. I came from financial world and all of this stuff. And I'm starting from square one, from zero, you know what I mean? And I'm like 40 years old. It was kind of a scary time. I tried not to think about it because if you, the more you thought about it, it 
doesn't make you feel very comfortable, right? So, but I was really bound and determined and I had the energy to to pursue that anyway. And along the way though, you know, you have to experience a lot of really uncomfortable situations, jobs that are really not good. You know, I didn't go from like being a mix, you know, going to write to mixologist. I started out as a bar back and I was happy to do that. Although it was, you know, there was times I'm washing dishes, you know, and I'm going to walk out with 50 bucks on a Saturday night going, what, you know, what the hell am I doing here? And I'm like, you're paying your dues. You are learning. And not every bar is a, is a famous cocktail bar either. You know what I mean? So I'm making redheaded slut shots. And, you know, when I finally get behind the bar, I'm learning how to pour a Guinness, you know, I'm doing all of those kinds of things. Right. Those are things that, that really, there really isn't anybody that you learn from other people. You learn that, that way. And, and, and then you start to be able to do that along the way as well. But it was really a hard road along, you know, the whole way, but I was, I, 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 but I was joyous about it. I was happy. I tried to, you know, it's also a young person's world to be honest with you. And being a 40 year old guy, I luckily I looked young enough. I could, I could fit in. I acted that way where I could like go on trips and, and do things and, and bartend until four in the morning and that kind of stuff, which I can't do anymore. But, but you needed to do all those things and just sort of like put every, put your world out of your mind and just focus on, on your, on your job or that night. So I focused on what was in front of me as well as always building on that, you know, cause I wanted to be good at what I did and I wanted, I wanted to be proud of myself as well. And not just a drunken old bartender when I got to be my age now. So those are always drove me. And that's what kept me from, you know, you see a lot of people that go down the abyss and they, they get lost and they're, you know, they destroy themselves. And a lot of us, you know, are, and most of us are, you know, dancing around that abyss a little bit. And I was like, I'm not going down that no matter what, you know what I mean? I'm still going to do, I still want to be, you know, I, I, I want to be proud of myself and do the things that I have dreams of and ideas over, but it's a really fine line. I mean, I can see where that, you know, that's like a black hole that can, that sucks. I know a lot of people that got, that fell through there. And especially being, working in the board of trade in the futures markets in the financial world, you know, you were either, you know, a teetotaling churchgoer or you were Coke snorting, you know, drug addict, drink, you know, alcoholic. And there was not much in between there. So I was always around that kind of thing. I'm surprised that I'm still living and standing and doing this, but there was always something in me that said, I'm not going to, I don't want to destroy myself that way. And um, I'm, we made it here and I can't believe that we're actually doing this. I'm so happy right now. And um, I'm so proud of you. I think it's so amazing. I'm proud of the both of you. You know, I'm, I am honored to say that I knew you when, right. To, that I knew you when, and I still know you now, which is so exciting to me and have been able to watch your journey really unfold. And when we were going through kind of those, you know, golden years, you really were an important part of the fabric of the Chicago community, bringing people together. You were hosting them in your homes. You know, you're, you really, you, you cooked meals for every person that I know in the Chicago (laughs) area, one point or another in your house. (laughs) you You really carried the um, hospitality, you know, from the bar directly into your personal space, which I think is a beautiful thing. 
not everyone does that, Todd. Not everyone takes the time to further nourish and be a soft place to land for their community. And you did that consistently, you know, which I think is something to be very proud of and something that was very important and a core pillar that really helped to build our community. Thank you. Thank You're you, welcome. Man. Yeah, that's the truth. It's just the way we, I am, you know, it's just the way I am. I grew up with my parents. We, they, you know, I learned a lot from them in, in just wanting to share and be happy. And, 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 you know, they would have like parties, like, you know, 1970 making beer, you know, nobody mm-hmm. did that back then. They'd have friends over and do that, or they'd have sausage making parties where they had all these different recipes and they'd get the casings and everyone would make sausages. And then they would have some afterwards and, and do that. And we'd be like a little party and stuff. And I grew mm-hmm. up with that and it really made a big impression on me. So that was, that was part of that. So, and I got to say, you know, again, meeting you was like the catalyst for, and I don't want to like, I mean, cause it's sincere. You, you were a catalyst for that growth in that beginning. And, you know, with me here. So you were so important to me. I could, you know, talk to you. I could call you and talk to you about things that might be bothering me. I could, you know, and it, was, it just was so important to me. And, I, you know, I'm not going to overdo it, but thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I appreciate you. And, and I appreciate those words very much because that was one of the most special times of my life. You know, it, it really, too. really was. So it's just cool that we were able to share that together. And with so many of our great friends and I was able to meet, you know, Lisa along the way as well, which is super amazing. Um, so Lisa, let's start off with you. What's, what's next? That's the $64,000 question. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to keep building naturally, growing naturally. I'm not sure if we have the five, 10-year plan. You know, people ask sometimes, when are we going to be in those big liquor stores? And that's really not part of our plan. We're enjoying what we're doing. Hopefully for me next is a a joke, a sprinter van to load up for all the deliveries. (laughs) (laughs) Something bigger than my my wagon. It's funny to watch her pack up this little Hyundai wagon that we have with like 400 quarts of of syrups and stuff, you know, in boxes and cameras and I mean, in uh, bus tubs and different things and stop at, you know, all these different places. People ask me if I have tamales or or, uh, organs being donated in the coolers, but... um, one of the things that I think we we enjoy most is kind of growing organically. You know, we we have some some long term plans, but I want to let things. I mean, I I have ideas. We're not a syrup company that makes things that you know is going to be nationwide, but that's definitely something that could grow out of here. Um, I want this to be kind of an incubator of ideas for that. Whether it could be working with a distillery, we've got all kinds. Of, I've got a lot. I never stop having ideas. Not all of them are good, but you know what I mean? It's just like, you know, but I'm always thinking about that. Uh, we're so busy and it's just Lisa and I and um, Ricardo, Ricardo Juarez, um, who I work with as a bar back and we're super tight. He's amazing. We couldn't run this business now without him. So it's just us three. I would like to, you know, have a, have somebody that could be some kind of a, an apprentice or learn with us as we grow as well. Another business could grow out of this business, like I said, you know, where we, you know, could say, oh, these are really good selling syrups. Why don't we do that in a in a larger format and either, you know, have another space where we make them? You know, I kind of think about like, you know, a brewery. I mean, they don't have some, you know, some breweries do that. They have somebody make it for them. But why wouldn't, why couldn't we just make it ourselves in a 
production facility and an industrial kind of thing, but still make them high quality, hands-on crafted syrups with minimal stabilizers and all that kind of stuff in it, right? So, but those are all, you know, ideas that can come down the road. We're having fun right now growing um, whether we can get another, you know, space and that kind of thing. But we've been super busy this year and just having a blast doing it. But, you know, we're here almost, you know, six, seven days a week, just producing things and delivering and that kind of stuff. So it's definitely been a rebuilding year after the last couple of years, which is fantastic. And going through COVID with our business here, we, I felt like we would make it through that because, like I said, we always were on a shoestring budget anyway. And I'm like, all we got to do is make rent, pay our, our bills in front of us. We don't have investors. We don't live extravagantly. So we don't have like cars we need to like maintain and house and all these payments and stuff. So we can get really small to survive. And we did things like Lisa was selling things at farmer's markets. So she went to the farmer's market and we would pack up things and sell, you know, we had little cool eight ounce bottles, like the little message and bottle bottle, and she would sell those and that helped supplement. Uh, some of the bars and restaurants were doing cocktail kits. So they asked us to make um, the syrups that would go in their cocktail kits to go. Um, so we would do that. It was kind of fun. So we could do that, like I said, bespoke and just, you know, hey, you need ginger lime. We can do that. Moscow meals, that kind of thing. So you know, we, we know what it's like to be there. And I think that really, you know, gives us some grounding, really gives us some grounding. And we're not into like, you know, running the world or being creating an empire or anything like that. And those things will take care of themselves. I've never pursued money as my, as my goal, Mm -hmm. you know, it's always whatever I did, if money comes out of that, great. Like I said, I was at the board of trade trying to make money, but it was always to further another goal. It wasn't so I could buy cars and it was so I could actually be free to do what I wanted to, right? Um, Absolutely. I can't wait to see what the two of you do next. You know, if you could just, Lisa, tell our listeners one more time where they can find you. Sure. And also it's an open invite for industry and enthusiasts to come visit us at the kitchen and see what's on the stoves and uh, taste through all of the things that we're making, the syrups and uh, some new seasonals. Um, applescordials.com is our website and it's apples, A-P-P-E-L-S, cordials.com. Um, we post a lot of content on Instagram and that includes some of the cooking that, that Todd does. And uh, we've had people question, where's our other restaurant? We said, we don't have one. They said, well, what's dinner before midnight? So that's our house. We, we hope to have dinner before midnight most nights a week. And reach out and come over and visit. We're just uh, on the north side, of, just a little north of Lincoln Square in Chicago. Well, I want to thank you both for being on Served Up. And I want to wish you both just a lot of great health and a whole lot of peace. And just thank you so much for being our guest. So cheers to the both of you and to just many more years of success. Thank you. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you. This was Thanks great. for having us. This is fun. Yeah, oh, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers!